Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, where Mercedes claimed a fourth 1-2 finish in four races. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix produced yet another 1-2 for Mercedes, the fourth of the season, with Valtteri Bottas holding off Lewis Hamilton to take his second victory of the season. Perhaps not as dramatic an Azerbaijan Grand Prix as we've become used to, certainly over the previous two years, but actually a really interesting race, and one that I think quite a lot of drivers will, will go away from regretting what happened at the weekend, because there are a lot of contenders uh, for victory had things gone a little bit differently. I'm your host Ed Straw, and joining me once again in our in our twelfth floor apartment in uh, in Baku, not far from the uh, the famous Fountain Square, is is Scott Mitchell, who has been absent from the Autosport podcast for for a few weeks, thanks to his uh, his recent relocation. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm Swedish based now. Swedish based, Sweden based. I'm Sweden based now, Ed. Um, I'm sure you've missed me. I, uh, I I well, I don't know. I don't know if our listeners have have missed me certainly by the quality of this introduction this little bit of opening banter that you you crave so much at the start of every podcast maybe they won't but yeah nice to be back nice to be Baku 
How about that? That's a, that's a very, very good pun. Stuart Codlin, eat your heart out. Yes, that was a, would be a pun worthy of him. That would get a, a stern look normally. You've, you've got away with it, though, so that's, that's not too bad. Well, yes, we are in Baku. It's approaching half midnight uh, after the race. Of course, the race started relatively relatively late here. We've just been wandering through the through the town and up in the very slow lift to the to the 12th floor. I timed it. You did? How, how what was it? So, so what did you time? Was it doors closed, it was doors the, open? The or? moment the door closed, to the, they started opening again. And what was the time? It was one minute. It's quite long, isn't it? For 12 floors. Is that five seconds per floor? Yeah, that was quite ponderous. That's slowed, because I think at one point, what were we, 40 seconds in and we'd done 10. So it tugged massively at the end. Yeah, very much so. We uh, Williams-esque. Because we're in race mode, we're basically timing everything, so it's just what uh, just what happens. But once we're up here, it's uh, it's very nice. I had a little bit of a spider incident. There were a few spiders suddenly appeared the other night. But what? Well, spiders. You know, you know what they are. Yeah, I know, but I didn't know we had spiders in this. I'm now terrified. I'm not going to sleep. That's no, just a few. That's horrible. Just had to uh, to avoid accidentally swallowing one while eating. Oh. Eating, sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike sort of a swallow one while eating. Oh, yes, th- oh. well, there'll be plenty of those slips at this uh, this sort of time. We'll we'll attempt to coherently uh, analyse the race, but actually, there's a, a lot of talking points this week, and I guess the the big one, Scott, is that through practice, Ferrari looks formidable, and then come qualifying in the race, slightly less formidable, and we had a Mercedes one too. So, what exactly happened? Is it Mercedes was holding back, and then? suddenly unleash the pace or is it perhaps a little bit more complicated than that uh it's always more complicated than that there's really a a simple answer for it i think we're seeing a trend aren't we that ferrari uh, is very very quick in friday practice i think Matteo bonotto team principal has alluded a couple of times to the fact that they probably run higher high power modes in, in in friday practice compared to mercedes certainly um and so, so so that probably flattered ferrari a little bit on friday I don't think they had a six or seven tenth advantage here uh, at any point, really. But I, th- I think they did have an advantage, and they they should have been on pole, regardless of uh, of, of things like the, the the track temperatures changing through that really extended qualifying session that we had. It was almost two hours in the end. We had the yeah. two bits of crash and the Leclerc crash, which caused big delays at turn eight. I think it was like a ten point seven degree drop in in air, in track temperature. So that 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 put the the, the track towards. Um, Mercedes, Toto Wolf said uh, after the race today that um, it's not like Mercedes is is really good at switching the tyres on. They were nowhere. That was, that's what he said um, in, in in Friday practice and in Saturday morning. But it was just the way the the track changed and the conditions changed. Suddenly, the the sweet spot of the of the Mercedes became accessible, and at the same time, Ferrari found that their sweet spot disappeared. So. That combined with Leclerc sticking it in the wall um, meant that that Vettel suddenly became Ferrari's only hope and qualified third. And then as soon as that happened, even in a race like back, even in a place like Baku, where the race, as you said, the last two years has been absolutely bonkers here. As soon as you've locked out that front row, you do have at least have the opportunity to control it. And as soon as you start in third, you're on the back foot. And then the tyre problems carried over to the race today. Even though it was warmer, Ferrari really struggled in the first stint. Vettel dropped back. And it just it was trademark Ferrari in 2019. They managed to have what looked like a really, really awesome position at the end of Friday. Even going into qualifying, Q1... The, the finished Q1 and it just looked like it just everything was pointing to a Leclerc pole and maybe redemption for what happened to him in Bahrain where he lost his first win. And yet here we are talking about 
I think it's the is it the first time a team's finished first and second in the first four races? I, I know we we talked about no one doing it since 1992 when they when it happened in in, in China and Williams didn't manage that in 1992. So Mercedes is achieving, I think, unprecedented success at the start of this season, and the fact that that's happening despite. Ferrari probably should have won in Bahrain and we thought was going to win here, looked like it was going to win here. I think that's absolutely remarkable. There's a lot to unpack there. I think on the issue of the tyres, it's interesting because the previous couple of years we've generally seen Mercedes being a little bit too aggressive on the tyres, a little bit too hard on them, whereas Ferrari has has had them nicely under control. I think perhaps what we've seen with the the thinner gauge tyres we've got this year, which is partly to allow drivers to push more because you have you have less tread so you don't get as much sort of squashing and and pushing sideways which is what gets the 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 temperature into it so you see you see less of that so you're not getting temperature into tires so aggressively and perhaps mercedes has moved more into the window and ferrari has moved more to the edge of it because when the ferraris really switched on the tires are working it seems to be really really quick but yeah they, they dropped out the window and and struggled well, of course, on the previous podcast, out last Monday, we had Michael Laminato from the F1 Strategy Report podcast, and we talked about the, the pace of the, the Ferraris and how they just needed to have more consistent race pace because, you know, strategy is one thing, which, of course, we were talking about a lot, but if you don't have the speed, you can't make the most of it. But this weekend, it was a case that Ferrari perhaps could have had the speed but couldn't unleash it enough, and then they didn't quite play their strategy cards right in, in qualifying primarily. So, yeah, very, very uh, interesting uh, topics there. Do have a listen to the F1 Strategy Report podcast. Uh, Michael was was our guest as part of a, what I might call an exchange program, as, as I'll be appearing on the uh, next episode of the F1 Strategy podcast to talk about uh, talk about the Baku race as well. So, yeah, if you like to hear some of the chat about F1 Strategy, do have a listen regularly to the F1 Strategy Report podcast hosted by Michael Laminato. Always a different guest uh, each week. Fortunately, not you don't always have to listen to me, and this will be my, my first appearance after after Baku. And uh, yeah, plenty that really dig into the the detail of the race just as we do on this podcast so yeah the the kind of thing that i'm sure lots of podcast listeners will enjoy you can download this podcast at f1strategyreport.com subscribe by spotify apple podcasts whatever your favorite podcasting app is so basically exactly the same procedure as for subscribing to the autosport podcast but always an interesting listen from the f1 strategy report podcast it was interesting, wasn't it? Because we saw all these things going wrong in qualifying. Leclerc looked like he maybe had a couple of tents in hand over, over Vettel. Then he had the shunt. He locked up on the mediums in Q2, locked up, hit the wall at, at, at turn eight. So that put him, him out. And in fact, Vettel glanced the wall in the same place with his, with his left rear, also on the mediums, which is a slightly unusual choice. So that held them back. And then, of course, Ferrari not having the toe. So there are a series of things in qualifying that, that, put Ferrari in that position I never really understood the mediums in in Q2 I, I the only team to, to go out on the mediums in, in Q2 I know they weren't the only team that ended up starting on the mediums because obviously when the teams have free tyre choice outside of the top 10 a couple of them mix it up um, but and it, and it did end up working I think relatively well ultimately Leclerc charged through to 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 fifth quite painlessly didn't he I think he got up to fifth within um well it's nine laps he got up to up to fourth because he that's passed, right. passed for Staffan. I think it was yeah, six laps Staffan, didn't he six laps to get to fifth ahead of Perez yeah so then he was back in um then he got back in front of Verstappen and all of a sudden it looked like hang on maybe the race is coming to to Leclerc here but by committing to that strategy given the deficit that he had 
he was always in need of a, a safety car around the time he was going to make his stop and change to, to softs. But I just don't, I don't see what they were they were gaining from from doing that. I just, it just doesn't. I, well, I, the simple I, fact is, if you look at the starting grid, the only other drivers who started on the mediums, the 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 C threes, were the Williams drivers, Gasly, who was in the pit lane, Grosjean. The Hass is split because they were both struggling, so they might as well have a go at it. So it was a, it was a very unusual thing to do. Mattia Bonotto said that uh, it was very difficult to say whether or not it was the right decision. So it, that suggests that Ferrari's data showed that it was must have been touch and go on what was the quickest overall strategy. Until until you factor in Leclerc shunting on the mediums in in Q two because he had his iron on the softs and he said he basically braked where he's meant to on the softs, which is partly his fault, but. Again, put in harm's way, wasn't it? And the fact Vettel had his problem as well in that that corner that could have also caused a crash suggests maybe that was a a needless risk. Well, Toto Wolff said that that Mercedes also considered uh, when, when to run uh, that you know use their their medium tires, and they decided that that because of the nature of the Baku circuit, you how many times did we hear over the weekend drivers talk about it being a circuit that requires confidence? It doesn't reward confidence. You you need it to to, to get anything out of the lap and. Toto said that the that what Mercedes settled on was giving their drivers as many laps on soft tyres through qualifying as possible so that when they were there in Q3, when it really mattered, they were properly bedded in. So they used up a set of mediums in in final practice, whereas Ferrari pushed for an extra set of softs, I think, in, in FP3, locked themselves into using a set of mediums in qualifying. And I, I, I don't really understand why they... They opted to do that in Q2 and locked themselves into starting on it when they could have used them up in Q1, probably got through Q1 without them, without burning a set of softs. Um, it's just, it, it was obviously what they thought was quickest and maybe maybe the race wouldn't have gone any differently for them um, had, had it played out exactly as uh, as they wanted or, or, or vice versa. I just I just feel like they... I don't know. It felt like they were maybe overreaching a little bit, a little bit like we saw a couple of times last year, where they they're, where they're just trying to be too clever. And yeah, they don't need a, to be. I think it was just a, a little bit so unnecessary. But of course, then you had Vettel without a toe, which was a, a bit of a Mercedes masterstroke in the end. Yeah, uh, it was an amusing bit in the post qualifying press conference where um, uh, Sebastian Vettel was talking about uh, keeping a rhythm up through qualifying, and he looked at the two Mercedes drivers and said that uh, he was particularly impressed that they managed to keep a rhythm up considering they they stopped suddenly and did a practice start just before uh, just as they left the were leaving the the, the pit lane and uh, that triggered a, a very 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 good uh, interaction between them where the uh, Mercedes drivers started smiling uh, Lewis said that they dummied Vettel basically and uh, Vettel asked again you know did you do a f- fake start did you did you do a start or did you just stop and then uh, Bottas you know both of them was, was smiling Bottas sort of smirks and says clutch calibration and Lewis sort of tilts his head and says yeah definitely clutch calibration and they just I think they did just sell Ferrari a dummies the Mercedes they you know I'm, I'm, I'm sure they probably as Toto said you know you need to maybe you do need to get a practice start in so I'm sure they got a little bit of data for themselves there. They pulled over at the last minute, made sure that it wasn't necessarily about them getting a mega toe, was it, off of a massive train of cars. It was the crucial thing was that it sort of took them out of reach for, for Vettel. And then 
uh, once they got out on track two corners later, the two cars that were ahead of Vettel still in that queue pulled over and all of a sudden Vettel's out on his own in front. And yeah, and it, it, was it, just, did, and it did make a substantial difference to his speed on the on the straight. His, yeah, was well, it six traffic. or seven kilometres an hour slower, wasn't he? Yeah, so, so it made a, a significant difference. And uh, yeah, that without that, perhaps Paul was, was possible. And he still had the problem with the tyre temperatures. But even so, not necessarily acing the, the strategy in Q3. The irony being that one of the reasons that Vettel was struggling so much with tyre temperatures was because of Leclerc and his crash. Because he contributed to the, the lengthy qualifying delay during which the track temperature dropped so much. And, you know, a few degrees warmer... Who, who knows whether that would have made the difference between Vettel having an extra tenth or two in the middle sector, maybe not needing, because he said he, he sacrificed, he could, have, he could have held back at the, the start of his uh, Q3 preparation, preparation lap to make sure he got a toe, but he didn't because he thought, I need to work this out lap really hard to get the tyres up to temperature so that I can smash the middle sector on the flying lap. Were the track conditions slightly more in his favour, maybe he wouldn't need to have done that, maybe he then would have got the toe, and then because the track temperatures would have been higher, he would still have been okay for the middle sector, and the lap could have been completely different. We could be sat here talking about a completely different qualifying result and race result. Very much very much so, and the toe is worth a significant amount. You can easily get two or three tenths out of a toe, and you know if you get the perfect toe, a bit like the one Pierre Gasly got in, in Q1 when he was fastest from Lance Stroll, which is almost the perfect toe. As it happens, it was... I'd uh, say the, the, per- the perfect a toe so perfect, it got him disqualified from qualifying. Yeah, for the, uh, the uh, exceeding the, the fuel flow... Uh, the instantaneous fuel flow limit, 100, and, uh, 100 kilograms per hour is the maximum rate which can go in. And yeah, it's spiked uh, above that because of the combination of the, the high speed and the oscillations. By 0.02, or I believe, or something like that, it was really, really tiny. Certainly yeah, not enough to make a, a difference. Yeah, yeah, but not, uh, but more than more than just a, a very instantaneous spike, which they'll generally let them get away with. But they are quite low tolerance on, on that kind of thing. But yeah. Uh, all these things uh, conspired to, to make a difference and there was another significant thing in qualifying as well as the Leclerc crash and what Ferrari did and that was the fact that Verstappen locked up on his first Q1 set which meant they had to do two soft runs in Q1 and then he only had one set of softs and they decided fairly sensibly actually to send him out kind of a little bit out of sync so he did his run between the two runs of the of the, the guys who did two runs so he had the track to himself and without that problem he'd have had two sets maybe with a mega toe Verstappen could have been higher up even which is significant because Verstappen was very very quick in in the race but the other interesting thing is Hamilton could easily have had pole he lost a load of time in the first sector but he was actually up on if you look at the qualifying laps Lewis Hamilton lost a load of time in the first sector probably his tyres weren't quite up to up to temperature but he was actually just ahead of Bottas on pace coming into turn 16 had a little rear end moment and then lost time down the straight so Again, even with that poor first sector, Hamilton could have could have got pole. Bottas did a decent lap, but not wasn't a perfect lap. But he was really surprised to get to get pole, and Mercedes were quite surprised. So, yeah, all these little things you had basically a whole a whole. You, you could argue any of those six drivers because Gasly has picked up and seems to be getting on a little bit better with the cars. Watching trackside in P three on Saturday, and and he seemed to be a lot more comfortable and turning the car in the way he wants to and carrying the speed through. So. Uh, yeah, you, you had a lot of, of cars in contention. I know it sounds weird for us to be talking so much about qualifying at the start of our post-race podcast, but that's because here, because we didn't have that chaotic race where it all got massively mixed up by one or two big safety car periods or, or, or anything like that, it was much more of a traditional Grand Prix where qualifying set the tone. And 
because of the way Mercedes was able to control the race, because of the fact that Vettel was left as Ferrari's um, sole gunner, uh, the fact that Leclerc was having to fight his way back through, uh, the fact that Verstappen, by only uh, qualifying in, in, in fourth, helped it played a part in him getting mugged by Sergio Perez on the on the first lap, and the time he lost behind Perez allowed Vettel to escape. So that meant that Verstappen then spent his entire race trying to play catch-up and then Red Bull had to tell him to back off towards the end because of the, the drive shaft failure that, that, that ruined Gasly's charge from the pit lane to sixth. And all, all of these things that, that, that happen that, that, that you can trace right the way back to qualifying. And had any one of those drivers that didn't get pole hooked it up, the race could have been completely different because this is the thing Bottas said on Saturday that he was like, oh, it feels really good when you put together that that really good lap and nail it. And he didn't nail it. Like That pole was there for the taking. But the circumstances just conspired for all of his rivals. And he was the one. He basically did... I don't want to take anything away from him but it, because it sounds harsh, but he effectively did the sort of least worst job of anyone if you take qualifying as a whole. Yeah, very very much so. And that, that's what it was about. You sort of strung together three decent sectors in the end and a decent run all, all through it and, and suddenly you're in a in a strong position but yeah it, ultimately track position is is king even in, in Baku which is probably the easiest circuit to well it is the easiest circuit to overtake out with that two kilometer run so it still creates this very different situation and for example Leclerc he kind of looked like he was a contender and, and he could have been had the as you said the VSC or the safety car come out at the right time because that's why the strategy... Some people complained about the Ferrari strategy with Leclerc. I think it was absolutely correct. He needed to run long on the mediums. And there was a period where, yeah, he was losing time, but he kind of had to lose time to them. And initially, the golden period was when he had enough of a lead to have made a VSC pit stop or a safety car pit stop and to have emerged in the lead. And then he'd have won the race and then looked like a hero. They had to throw the dice on that. But once that window had closed, they had to keep him out because they couldn't risk going onto the softs too early. And he wouldn't really have been able to attack anyway. So he was kind of a bit of a bit of a lame duck at that point and he, and so he was never in that race really better off than fifth in real terms because of being out of sync but if he'd, if he'd hit that uh, that VSC or that safety car it would have been very 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 different but coming back to, to the start Lewis Hamilton talks about maybe he was a little bit he could have been a little bit more selfish at the start because he did actually get away ahead of Bottas yeah we looked at the replay of the start a few times didn't we trying to work out exactly how he could have been more more aggressive. I mean, Lewis does absolutely nail the start. For someone who's quite critical of himself and, and the quality of his starts, certainly last year, um, and you know when he was beaten off the line by by Bottas in Australia, Lewis said as well he needs to make sure that he's a bit more on top of it. And the last uh, it's two races in a row now that Bottas has started from pole, but Lewis has been able to sort of get the jump on him um, off the line. But the difference here is that Lewis just seemed to be a bit. I think the difference here is that Lewis just seemed to be a bit more cautious. Um, I think it was all three, the first three corners, they were side by side to differing degrees, but it was Bottas who was more more aggressive around the outside of turns one and, ter- and two. Bottas sort of toughed it out. There was a lot of racing room left between them, between two, but Bottas managed to make it stick. And then Bottas was defensive into three, wasn't he? And you and I both thought he was heading down the escape road on the first lap. He breaks so late, but he was just, he was just not letting that place up, was he? And I think, I don't know if Lewis necessarily underestimated Bottas in that situation, but the way Lewis spoke afterwards about how he was a bit maybe 
maybe a bit too cautious. Could have been, could have driven more selfishly. He he said that he could have basically thought, "I'll oh, sod the team, and, and and it doesn't matter where Valtteri ends up at the end of this. I'm I'm lumping this down the inside, and if he loses a place to a Ferrari, so be it." He didn't do that, um, which is fair play to him from a team perspective. But I think he knows that he could have probably played the team game and still been a little bit tougher. And this just new for 2019 Valtteri Bottas, I think Lewis is going to need to be that tough to to, to get rid of him because Valtteri doesn't quite seem to be the sort of soft touch in battle that he's looked a couple of times in Mercedes. Yeah, he's certainly going to try and sustain this this start. He's obviously leading the world championship now. Now, we have seen Bottas start the previous two seasons strongly as well, so he needs to sustain it, but he knows he needs to sustain it. I asked him about this on, on Thursday and talked about as well as his own approach which has been talked about a lot his slightly harder edge evil Bottas with the beard as we like to call it although the beard's gradually regressing as it were um, it's probably just shaving it very much so yeah I, I don't, I'm not saying it's sort of re- retreating into 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 his uh, into his face that would be extremely eccentric and probably probably worth uh, investigating medically but uh, yeah our spotters about this and the need to sustain this and whether he's going a little bit more his own way with setup that kind of thing he's had a change of his of his race engineer and his side of the garage has shifted around a little bit so some new ideas have come in he's willing I think to be a little bit more his own man in terms of making the car do what he wants and he knows he needs to because obviously the team's built around Hamilton and so it should be he's an all-time great driver but Bottas has come into this season knowing he has to do it his way and I think he's hoping that he can sustain this with that harder edge and with that setup direction and he started he started very very well I mean we should say that Baku is kind of a Bottas kind of track. It's not really a Hamilton kind of track. He's he's struggled here in in the past, and you know it's it's not it would be low on his list of tracks to go to if he had a if he had a free choice in it. So I don't think again after Australia, one swallow doesn't make a summer. Two swallows also don't make a summer. But Bottas has started well, and even the two races in between Bahrain maybe he's a little bit conservative on tyres, but he was still fine. China he was decent. We haven't seen him fading to sixth in races or anything. So. Yeah, this has been a good first four races. I think the main thing with it is that this this is the season that he and Toto Wolff and even Hamilton at times last year said uh, that that Bottas's 2018 could have been, and we, we were we were constantly told by by Mercedes and, and, and Bottas and, and Hamilton that 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 Bottas could have sustained that form if things had gone differently. But once you get trapped in that spiral of bad luck and negativity, then things just do start going against you and you lose that momentum, you lose touch in the title battle and then it just run it, it, it snowballs, doesn't it? And the momentum shifts to Lewis's side and, and, and Bottas just becomes a number two. So we this my point is that last year we we were told a lot Oh, it could have been so different if Bottas had had a little bit better luck, or if you know he should have won one or two of the first four races. Really, um, well, now here we are, four races into 2019. He's won two of them, finished second in the other two, and crucially, that bonus point for fastest lap in Melbourne has him top of the pile in the championship. So here you go, Valtteri. Here's your chance. You've been telling us that all you needed was sort of maybe a little bit rubber the green, or mainly not for things not to go against you. And and this is your chance, so to make the most of it, because like Nico Rosberg found in 2016, if you've got a chance against Lewis Hamilton, you need to take it. But he does have to sustain it, and that's going to be the challenge, because Hamilton always gets stronger as the season goes on. So this this is a good start, you know, it's been it's been really good. And there were, I remember with the way Feltry was at the back end of last season in Abu Dhabi, just wanted it all to be over, and you sort of thought, looks a little bit like he's broken, so it's great he's got that that resolve, but... Yeah, you know, a good win. Um, they ultimately Mercedes had the track position, 
and, and made the most of it. But what was really interesting is we saw these few little things going on towards the end of the race. We had Hamilton behind Bottas. He was looking like a threat. Lost a little bit of time under the VSC, unusually. Obviously, you have to keep to a certain, uh, keep positive, as they say, in each in each marshalling sector. You can't ex- exceed the 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 time for that for that period. But Hamilton basically went from just over being about I think it was two point one seconds behind to so being just over three point five seconds behind uh, the start and the end of the the VSC period, which he was frustrated by, and he did address that. Although he wasn't too specific, was he? Yeah, I asked him um, post race. I said I asked him if if he felt like this was one of those races where the the sort of fine details really have a, a big impact at the end. So, like the going wheel to wheel at the start, and then the time loss under the VSC, and Bottas managing to catch the DRS uh, because he he was lapping the Williams of George Russell um, just as they I think they were coming to the end of the penultimate lap, starting the first one, uh, the, the starting the last lap. And it gave Bottas the, the DRS and just sort of helped keep Lewis at bay. I think the, the speed boost he got there as well was enough to just set fastest lap briefly on the penultimate tour. So these were really fine margins. And, and, and Lewis said, you know, just as an example of this, was under the VSC. He took responsibility for that time loss. Um, he suggested that he might maybe need to make a couple of changes. Uh, he, he, he suggested that certainly want, there were some things that you could do on, the, on, on his dash to uh, just make sure that he's got what he needs on the display to, to maybe react quicker. He, he didn't want to go into too many details. We, our colleague Adam Cooper uh, tried to sort of pry a little bit more um, in uh, the Mercedes media session a little bit later on on Sunday evening, but Lewis wasn't giving any secrets away. But it just shows just how tight that battle is. He's, by the time we got into those last three laps where Lewis was really, really mounting uh, an attack and... Valtteri said he could really feel the pressure. That was because Lewis had already had to overcome a needless extra second, second and a half. And had that not happened, maybe he would have caught Valtteri five laps from the end. And then if there's blue flags that go in the leader's favour or whatever, you've got a couple of laps more to to, to deal with that. And I, I think that the conclusion could have been different, but it just ca- continues this this theme of of the weekend where Baku might not have been explosive, but there were so many little intricate things that happened and it, it just completely changed the the complexion of, of any given moment. And then by, by, by virtue of that changing the, the complexion of the race as a whole. The interesting thing would have been had Russell not been there, whether Hamilton could have attacked because that was probably going to be, I mean, he could theoretically have had an attack on the last lap, but probably his last big chance was that the end of the penultimate lap on the long two kilometer run so they were closing on on russell who said i asked george about this at the end of the race and he said well, well we pitted for soft i couldn't get them switched on i felt like i was driving on ice he was aware they were coming and he thought oh, i don't want to be the one to to cause problems so he would have been very happy that he could get to the final straight ahead uh, that was basically what he was trying to do so he wasn't in the way um but of course that meant that he a gave bottas a toe the, the gap was about a second between bottas and hamilton into turn 16 but then immediately off the corner Bottas started to pick up a toe and that gave him about three tenths straight away and then he got the DRS because obviously leaders get the DRS off off the back markers and that gave Aladdin to pick up another couple of tenths to the line so suddenly he's he's 1.5 seconds clear and without George Russell there he's got Hamilton bearing down on him now he might very well have stayed ahead I'm sure Bottas would have been in no mood to yield and Hamilton wasn't right right on him uh, you know, if, if the gap had been seven tenths, you might think, oh, yeah, that would have been... So it, it would have been contested. But it just, again, like you say, these small things, just a back marker 
just in that particular place that if a few things had happened differently in, in George Russell's race, he'd have been in a different place. So all these small things. Who knows if George Russell hadn't had that drain, which we didn't haven't mentioned yet, on, on Friday Friday morning, the, the drain cover that had been slightly lifted by Charles Leclerc's Ferrari going over because it hadn't been sealed down properly. Obviously hit the floor of the uh, of the of the Williams. He missed all of Friday. New spare car, well, spare monocoque, the car was basically rebuilt around. And then, you know, all these little things. Who knows whether Russell would have been 10 seconds, 20 seconds up the road if, if with that uh, extra practice or running or something. It's probably not the, the way George imagined influencing a Mercedes victory for <laughs> no. the first time in F1, is it? But I think he was just happy he didn't, he didn't get in the way. And he, he sort of joked, oh, I'm probably not Lewis, I'm, I'm probably not Lewis's best friend uh, yeah. uh, right now. But, you know, that, that, there's nothing that we should be clear. There's no problem with what George Russell did. He was absolutely correct. No, and Lewis it, was, it was also... just It was just where he was. And, and, and Lewis, yeah, he, he didn't have a problem with it. No, Lewis was quite... Um, that, this is the weird thing at the moment. I don't know if it's because Lewis has sort of relaxed a little bit with the confidence of becoming a, a first a four-time world champion and then a five-time world champion. But last year, whenever Bottas was doing particularly well, Lewis was... Lewis found it, seemed to find it quite easy to be happy for him. Certainly happened in 2017 as well, in their first year together. And I remember in Baku 12 months ago, Lewis was genuinely sort of, it just was not in the mood, was he, to celebrate his win? Because he knew that his teammate had, had deserved it more than him, at least. Because um, last year was a was a crazy Baku race. I think... I think- one of the things that's different actually from last year is, Ham- is Hamilton is, while he wasn't completely happy with the car, he is a bit happier with the car than he was 12 months ago at this stage. Yeah. I w- which I think probably helps him as well. And push comes to shove, he knows he's got the beating of Valtteri Bottas. You know, it's not impossible Bottas can sustain this through the whole season, but it's going to be incredibly, incredibly difficult. So I think if you're Lewis Hamilton, you think, well, the Ferraris are more than 30 points behind. We've had a great start to the season. Yeah. Valtteri's there and he's but he's still kind of his 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 ideal teammate in that regard isn't he uh he is but and he's taking points off the Ferraris which is important absolutely but I think from a competitiveness point of view you mentioned Lewis knowing that he's probably got Valtteri's number um when you know over this course of a season and when it counts but he knew that we he knew that about Rosberg as well we knew that actually in a straight fight Hamilton had the edge but the difference there is that you know, if you look at where Hamilton and, and Rosberg were, uh, say, 2016, when Rosberg was able to, to get one over on Lewis over the course of the season, how badly their relationship had deteriorated. And it was genuinely, genuinely so. It was competitive and it was toxic at, at times. We're now three seasons into Bottas and, and Hamilton. Um, and, and now it's looking like maybe this is Bottas's chance to mount a proper championship challenge. But there's none of that animosity because from the very beginning, they've fostered a really good relationship, probably helped by the fact that unlike when Lewis came into Mercedes, obviously Rosberg and Hamilton had the season together before they started fighting for titles and, and, and Rosberg wasn't a pushover. Maybe Hamilton thought he could assert himself uh, straight away. Rosberg felt, no, this is sort of my team. I've established myself here alongside Michael Schumacher. And there was more of a backstory there. They'd obviously been teammates and rivals way back when in karting as well. So it was a much more uh, complex uh, relationship. Whereas Hamilton and Bottas just seems to be genuinely, uh, I, I wouldn't say friendly, 
necessarily because I think you probably find it quite difficult to be matey with your the person that you're trying to beat for the world title. But they're about as friendly as I think you would you'd be able to get two teammates. They they work really well together. Lewis has said he's that the Valtteri is the best teammate he's ever had more than once. Um, and I think Valtteri likes having someone around, someone like Lewis alongside him because he is making him raise his game. But as Toto Wolff said this uh, on Sunday evening, um, the, there, there are a few sort of shades of the Rosberg Hamilton battle now because they're they're will to will now for the for the world championship and it's it, it's already heading towards a an all Mercedes fight. So the key thing now is going to make sure that relationship doesn't deteriorate so that it doesn't become even more like Rosberg versus Hamilton. Yeah, well, for that to happen, there will need to be some flashpoints. Now, Rosberg, that obviously there were some collisions. He was also off track. He knew he knew Hamilton very well. Obviously, they've been teammates way back in karting days, so he knew some of the little tricks. Obviously, that you could pull to Swans. And I also think the other significant thing is I think Hamilton learns a lot from that 16 season when we mentioned he knew he had Rosberg covered. But I think what he learned there was you do have to be relentless and leave no point on the table. You know, if you've got a 20 point lead, get a 30 point lead, get a 50 point lead, get a 100 point lead, because you never know how many mishaps you can have. And in fact, Hamilton in that season, just through chance, had something like half of the of the significant Mercedes engine problems across multiple supplies on the grid. There have been eight Mercedes cars in sixteen, where there have been yeah, and he had half of the of the serious problems just through luck. Just you happen to get certain parts. It, it goes that way. So sometimes extraordinary bad luck can go against you, and I think that was where we saw Hamilton evolve into a more relentless kind of kind of driver but yeah it'd be interesting to see if Bottas keeps this up there will eventually be a flashpoint they will go into the first corner side by side and Hamilton might think oh I can't afford to be too polite here and Bottas will know that he needs to kind of so we, we have seen you know Bottas is a very clean driver um, very fair driver but he's gonna he's gonna be tested in that it'd be it'd be interesting well we'll just break away from the Azerbaijan Grand Prix for a moment for an update on the all-important Autosport IGP Manager team. Of course, IGP Manager is available to download on iOS and Android and also available on browser. Uh, if you use our sign-up link in the, in the episode information, you'll be able to manage your own uh, racing team. So, yeah, we've moved on to the next race. We had a terrible race in Monaco. On to Canada. Now, the result, disappointing. 13th, so no points again. But are you pointless? We are still pointless. Yes, it's not. We, I'm not. No, don't lump me in with your uncompetitive, terrible excuse of a team. Winners is entirely you, Ed. Winners a team, losers a team, Scott. That's how it works. Now the car did actually show pretty reasonable pace from the top ten for a while. Strategy let us down. Uh, Try tried to make a two stop strategy work. Plan A was a three stop strategy. Thought we could make the two work, but. It didn't, so ended up missing out, uh, missing out on points. So, yeah, better, better race management from the pit wall. That's that's what it's about. That's what we're working on. I think you need to look in the mirror, mate. Yeah, that would uh, that would definitely uh, definitely help. Uh, and yeah, we'll take responsibility for it. We're uh, you know it's a high quality league we're we're in and uh, making progress. Uh, but the good thing is we're seeing response from the car and the, the facilities are are improving. The drivers improving. There's all sorts of things you can do to to try and get the uh, get the car characteristics. Uh, improve we've got very strong acceleration which i'm quite pleased with that's always useful to get because as i always say people obsess about top speed but it's how quick you go along the whole straight and if you get up to a speed quicker you're going down the straight overall quicker probably better if you were going quicker through the corners as well which i suspect your car's not yes i think that is a slight weakness still so we are we're working on that so that 
making sure we have the right strategy will will help us. But I think we've got yeah the uh, the necessary uh, performance in that uh, in that car to uh, to get some points, which will be which will be very very positive. So it's good to see that uh, that progress going on. And then yeah, I might need to recruit a few new personnel to uh, to to push on because obviously the team becomes more attractive for people to work for, of course, and building up the resources, et cetera, and it's got some good commercial deals going on. Of course, you can vote via uh, some Twitter polls we run on the At Autosport account for, for where we opt to try and improve the car or what facilities we build on. So it is, a, it is in fact, I say we win the team, lose the team, so also the Autosport podcast listeners are part of that. So, yeah, I'm basically crowd crowdsourcing the... Uh, and you could also download IGP Manager on iOS and Android as well. Try it for yourself, see see how easy it is. Again, check the sign-up link and uh, manage your own racing team and try and do better than me, which, let's face it, won't be too difficult, but we are getting better. Every great racing empire has to start somewhere. Obviously, Vettel sort of hung around that lead battle. in the in the the On the softs, he was, he was struggling. Uh, they weren't entirely sure why that was, but then on the mediums, you know, he, he sort of hung with them and he was starting. He, the, the gap never got got bigger than five seconds to, to the... Uh, second of the Mercedes in that uh, um, that's the leader in the in that second stint um, up to the VSC and then he was he was edging back up again so again that shows that the Ferrari did have the pace to be there once it once it was there so if he had track position could have been a different story yeah it was a the the race for the Ferrari sort of unraveled early on when Vettel just really struggled with the with the softs and I think he said afterwards that the, they just that uh, as soon as that happened the way he fell away during the course of the first stint he, he knew that he'd lost any chance of putting pressure on early which will, maybe would have been his best chance to gain track position although they did they were able to do the undercut on Mercedes which got him quite close yeah well, it, that, that I was pleased they were proactive but they kind of had to because he was struggling so much but also they weren't waiting like they did in China yeah and when um when Vettel I think when Hamilton rejoined I think Vettel was like a second and a half behind and then when Hamilton Hamilton was able to use his sort of fresh tire advantage when they were when he was straight back out and on it, built that up to a, a, just over a couple of seconds again. But then it stayed between two and three seconds for the vast majority of the race. Um, and Vettel said afterwards that was more like what the Ferrari is capable of, and that was a little bit more of a glimpse of its real potential. They just really he just really struggled to to stick with the Mercedes early on. And it comes back to this problem that the, the Ferrari's got. You know, this was an upgraded Ferrari this weekend. Um, it cha- was changes to the barge board and the rear wing. Barge boards and the rear wing, sorry. Um, and it wasn't something that was necessarily Baku specific. It's something that they're hoping is going to bring them benefits other other races as well, just to add a little bit more downforce to a car that's probably been too quick in the straight lines and too slow through the corners in the first few races of the season. Um and Vettel and Leclerc, you, you saw it on track with the lap times that Leclerc was doing in practice and the fact that he was favourite for pole and all of that. And, okay, Vettel wasn't quite as quick because he still feels, he says he, says he still feels a little bit unnatural in his driving with, with, with this Ferrari. It's just not gelling right ever since pre-season. And Whereas Leclerc actually says he's happier. Well, he's not that unhappy, I think. Was yeah, yeah, exactly. He seems to be matching his driving style a little bit better. So, this is an upgraded Ferrari that the drivers were happier with here, uh, and yet we've had the same result as the first three races. So, okay, do we have egg on our faces for saying that the Ferraris looked quick? I don't. I don't think so. Purely because 
we've talked about all the circumstances that conspired to sort of make the weekend go the way it did. But crucially, it's the, the dominating factor, as Vettel put it, is the tyres. The peak of this Ferrari, as we saw in testing and as we saw in Bahrain as well, is, is really, really high. And these upgrades have pushed that peak higher, I think. I think the the ceiling of what this car is capable of is 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 even higher than we saw in Bahrain. The problem is, it's accessing it. It's a bit of a diva. It is. It is. It is a bit but, of a but diva. But I do think, coming back to what I said earlier on, that it is down to the, the tire change, and that's not that's not again. It's not a tire the change that's been made to favour Mercedes. It's a function of the desire to have drivers to push more on the tires and the the, the way that that you work the tires. You know. Working the tyres is a function of a few things. You know, people often say it's purely down to downforce. Now, downforce is your friend because it puts more energy through the tyres, but it's not just that because it's also about the suspension geometry. You know, this makes a huge difference, and it's a real, real. It's a it's a, a black art, but literally the tyres are black, as it were. But for example, when it comes to measuring tyre temperatures, they can measure the carcass, which is the kind of the, the inner part of the tyre. They've got sensors to measure the surface, but the key is like the the, the compound that sits under the. Uh, so under the surface of the tyre and between that and the carcass which you can't measure directly you can only infer from the comparison of the, of the two readings so getting that switched on is what gets the whole tyre working you need all of them at, at the right temperature to, to get the, the, the kind of chemical bonding to the circuit so it's phenomenally difficult to to achieve that and if you're chasing things it, it is hard as mercedes has found in previous years and look at what what's going on in the midfield battle as well the the, ha- the has it is I, i'm i'm certain that in an in ideal conditions over one lap the Haas is still the, the fourth quickest car. Exactly what Roman Grosjean said yeah, to me exactly. after the race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm and I'm sure that's the case. But the problem is they're absolutely nowhere because they can't get the tyres to work. And, and you've got these other teams, for example, Racing Point, McLaren, good on race pace, and they have been all year because they are getting the tyres working for the for the long runs. The Alfa Romeo as well actually is is probably a better long run car than it is a single lap car as we've seen this season. So it's interesting. And it's not entirely correlating to... Because sometimes it's a question of, oh, if you're a little bit slower in qualifying, you're a bit gentle on the tyres. It's not It's not about that. It's about, again, the way you work those tyres. So there are these underlying factors. Yeah, and I think some people will be a bit critical of this. They'll just say, oh, why can't Pirelli make tyres that blah, 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 blah. I, it, this, is, this is the way that F1 has always been to a greater or lesser extent. The the tires are part of it. Well, they connect the car to the ground, so they're they're pretty. Important. Yeah, exactly. They're, and I think some people might sometimes misunderstand the purpose of a of a single tire supplier. Sometimes maybe they just think that a single tire supplier should be giving the same thing to all of the teams, so that it's just the team's cars that make the difference. But what they the point they miss there is that. The tyres are the same for everybody, and it is the characteristics of the cars that the teams build that that interact with the tyres and either get the most out of them or don't, or they get the most out of them in in a narrow window, and and otherwise they fall out of them. And it's a big, it's a big, big challenge. It is, I the, getting the tyres switched on. It might might be the single biggest performance differentiator of of F one uh, between the between the well, teams well, that, this season. It is, it is, uh, absolutely is. And the classic example of that where people really saw it. it was Australia last year where Ferrari and Mercedes were, were nip and tuck on pace and then just through luck through Daniel Ricciardo being in the way that changed the way Hamilton warmed up his tyres for his final Q3 lap aced the tyres suddenly six and a half cents quicker just like that just it was through luck and Mercedes admitted that but they understood it uh, partly after that so it just shows how much difference it makes and you think about it it's logical because 
if you've got the tires working better, a bit more, a bit more grip. Your braking is better. Your grip's better. Your traction, everything is better. It's 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 wins all around. I would just like to briefly come back to the the Red Bull pace because obviously people have seen some flashy laps from from uh, Verstappen and, and Gasly as well. He, he did did a good job coming through from the, from his seventy three separate start from the pit lane penalties or whatever it was. Um, but for example, there was a period of the race about sixteen laps before the VSC where Verstappen of that of that lead group of cars he was faster than everyone by three tenths of a second per lap which is a huge advantage, which again, had qualifying gone better and he'd got better track position, that could have made a difference had he not got caught up with Perez early on. Could have, could have made them a factor. And just to underpin that, and that was a comparable pace to, to Vettel and two Mercedes because their strategies were near as make no difference the same. And then if you have a look at Gasly, it took him to about lap 12 to get proper clear air, having started in the pit, pit lane. But for that, from 12 to about lap 33, when the clerk was still out, Again, same tyre, comparable. He was 0.179 seconds per lap faster than Leclerc on the same tyre. So again, that just shows the Red Bull had serious race pace. It, um, it goes a long way to explaining why Christian Horner was telling us after the race that uh, he felt that they had a faster car than Ferrari today. And they yeah, did. They, yeah, evidently they and, did. And, it may, and even Mercedes On as a well. circuit as well that Christian was also keen to point out hasn't always been a particularly... A uh, kind place to, to to Red Bull in the in the Renault years, um, and also to be fair, Honda last year had a shocker with Toro Rosso. Um, so it's a marker of how much progress Honda's made um, that Red Bull was so competitive at, at, at in, in Baku, which is obviously such a such a high speed circuit in in, in places. And it? the uh, another thing that I think goes uh, went unnoticed by by a lot of people last year is that Baku was a big turning point for Honda in 2018 for for energy management. And how they um, calculate their energy uh, energy deployment um, and and making the most of the energy recovery systems and uh, and the lessons that they learned from Baku last year played a big part in in uh, in them scoring. I think it was uh, was they score a point in uh, they scored a point at Spa and I think they, didn't they make Q3 as well at Monza um, and a big part of sort of their competitive showings at those those power sensitive circuits was the lessons they learned in Baku. Uh, a year ago so coming back here was a lovely opportunity for Honda to sort of prove that they have made a lot of progress coupled with introducing their spec 2 engine a little bit earlier than they would want to for reliability reasons it came with a small performance gain certainly uh, not a a major power boost Um, but it seemed to run uh, problem free Honda told me after the race that there were no issues across the four power units all weekend and we should say that that, the drive shaft problem that Gasly had was nothing to do with the power unit or yep. different oscillations no, no, or Honda, whatever. Honda perfectly happy with uh, with what they saw. Um, obviously, they stay, They know that they still need to, to to improve. If there was a Mercedes engine or a Ferrari engine in the back of that Red Bull, Max Verstappen would be um, qualifying further up the grid and he would be he would be racing uh, closer to the front, if not being in front. The Honda are not, and Red Bull are not kidding themselves. They're not pretending like they've made up the the massive deficit that Honda have had since they came back into F1, but they are getting closer. And I think the fact that they were so competitive today, a circuit that previously Red Bull wouldn't have fancied themselves going to, speaks volumes for for, for where that package is. And we're only four races into a 21-race season. Um, I know we haven't had the Red Bull proper challenge for the win yet, but I'm uh, I'm feeling more and more confident that we're going to see it at places like Monaco. 
Yeah, yeah, very, very possible. And uh, yeah, positive that Gasly's driving well as well. That means that they've now got the chance to have the, the two Red Bulls properly up there after a difficult start to the season for, for him. We should note Charles Leclerc obviously got the fastest lap after making that uh, extra pit stop, got it by about well, about a second, basically, taking it back off uh, of Bottas, thanks to that tyre advantage. He obviously had that opportunity because he was at the, uh, the back of the uh, the big three-team runners. I have to say, Sergio Perez and Racing Point are doing a great job. Sixth place for Sergio Perez. He's something of a Baku specialist. But remember, this, this team has a, a car that's a little bit undercooked. They had to make some of the design decisions before they knew their financial situation. So they've got the they've got the 2018 Mercedes gearbox and and their 2018 rear suspension, racing point teams rear suspension. They had to lock that in before they really know knew where they were going to be at. So even then, they've carried some compromises. They expect to get stronger as the season goes on, and yet there they are. They're fifth in the championship, one point off fourth. Sergio Perez has driven superbly. Class B win in, in six. And again, that just shows the benefit of just a, a strong, sensible racing team. They, they just get the best out of, out of what they've got, and Perez is driving really well. I know it's early days for, for that team with its, uh, with its new identity and, and new investment, but bodes very well for them continuing that good bang for buck and uh, efficiency, doesn't it? That's been the, the, the reason that they've been able to be so competitive on, on what was such a small budget that caused them so many financial problems. And now, you just hope that what we've seen, that all the positive elements of that team, don't disappear now that they've uh, they've got this sort of newfound wealth, as it were. Do not try and grow too fast is one of them. It's always tempting. To, yeah, absolutely. And Andrew, don't Green, Andrew Green, their technical director, will try and keep a sensible yeah, lid on that. Yeah, he's very good, isn't he? He's, he's outstanding. Very calming, sensible, logical, one step after the other thinker. I, I think everything about that team, um, when, when it's operating at its peak, they are... Uh, I need to find the right way to word this because I, I, I'm trying to pay them a compliment and I don't really want to insult them by accident. But I think they are basically as good as... I think every element of that team is about as good as as good as good it can be, whether it's drivers, technical directors, uh, the the execution of the, the race team, everything is about as good as it can be without being a world championship winning team. I yeah. think it, I think, I think that... I think pound, subject pound, to being, pound yeah. for pound... They, you could argue they were the best team. Yeah, Sergio, used to. Sergio I mean, Perez. I mean, is there a better midfield F1 driver than no, Sergio he's, Perez? He's, he's very, very good. There. Lance Stroll's an interesting one because he, he needs to sort out his qualifying because he can. He's, he's got decent race pace, but he's got to get out of Q1. Yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming a bit of a fast now, isn't it? I mean, yeah. he's a uh, he's in a car that is so 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 much faster than than the Williams. And yet he's, what's he on now? Is it eight in a row, did you say, last year to this year? So, I think it is, yeah, and all four this year. So I mean, not escaping Q1 in a Williams last year was no real disgrace. No, but, but my point <laughs> is that he's traded a car that was plum last last yep. year and is plum last again this year for a car that is top 10 fodder when everything goes goes well and he's getting the same results yeah. so that shows how much he's underperforming yeah i think so certainly on the, on the saturday he needs to he needs to find that sharp edge that was a weakness in the first season and it continues to, to be a weakness but yeah perez i mean looking at it you know the mclaren had really good pace as well we had carlos Sainz and lando norris seventh and eighth uh, in behind perez he said he had to push really hard to keep them behind and eventually obviously had a reasonable reasonable margin to them but that was uh only because of the way the, the later stages of the race went. But good for McLaren to have that double points finishing. Carlos Sainz, who's had all sorts of bad luck this season, despite being properly quick, um, good for him to get those points. If nothing else, it means he'll go to his home Grand Prix in Spain in a couple of weeks without a million people asking him when are you going to score some points. I was quite pleased for Carlos, especially as I think, didn't he have to overtake Lando twice? 
He, I think he got past him, didn't he? He caught him and passed him in the first stint, and then I think Lando jumped him in the in the pit stop phase by undercutting him, and then obviously Carlos managed to get back in front. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can see Carlos got ahead just before the stops. So yeah, I mean Carlos was the was the quicker driver. He was stymied by yellow flags for a Haas in Q two when he was, I think it was like three or four tenths up. So yeah, he'd he'd have got through to to Q three and no Lando Norris great effort. You know you'd expect him to be behind signs at this stage of the season. I think he's doing a really impressive job. Should say that both of those drivers and the team as a whole is massively. Uh, outperforming preseason expectations. I remember I mean, you you were there when for Carlos's media session on Thursday, and I asked him sort of how much of a surprise was this, and he did have a little bit of a twinkle in his eye when he said, "Actually, do you know what? With I knew what fuel loads fuel loads we were running there in preseason. I had a feeling that we were going to have a bit of fun in the first few races, but McLaren might have had that confidence." Maybe there was something internally that they did genuinely believe in, but everyone, uh, even their rival teams, weren't thinking McLaren were going to be much of a threat. No, they were in that. They were very much in the tight midfield, so a small leap leap would help them. I think what's really helping McLaren is, I mean, they're they're like this last year. The actual race team, in terms of getting the most out of the car, is is still very very strong, and I think that's one area where they've really benefited from. And it's it's interesting because. They're still struggling a little bit to find a balance with that car because they've they've had some rear end instability and they try and dial it out and they have a slightly weak front end as a consequence. I was watching in FP3 at turn one and they were struggling hugely because they're having to be quite aggressive on turning, turning on the brakes to try and rotate the car. Sometimes it wouldn't rotate enough, sometimes it over-rotated, had to get out of the throttle to avoid clipping the wall at the exit. They made a big step into into qualifying, but I think they're still sort of chasing that uh, chasing that sort of ideal balance on the compromise but the team's the team's doing well with with what it's got and I think this is exactly the foundation they need to try and uh, to try and build from and of course we should say Lance Stroll did come through and uh, and finish ninth he had another one of his good good first laps but again he needs to be kind of up there with Perez so he could have six seven six and seven the two cars in the top seven would make a big difference and that's the thing Stroll's race performance is generally a a, a good uh, so that's why he needs to start higher up and Kemi Raikkonen then of course came through Having started uh, started from the pit lane um, of the Alfa Romeo, too. yeah, not a bad uh, not a bad turnaround. He yeah, he um, it, it drew a bit of a chuckle out of Kimi actually post race, I believe, when he was uh, asked if that was a pretty decent afternoon's work, and he said, you know, it wasn't really the plan to start from the pit lane. The the Alfa failed a front wing deflection test, uh, so they had to change the specifications. I think uh, if I can remember rightly, it was the um, so the fl- it was the flap, the, the flap change, adjuster yeah. hook, wasn't it, on the left and right hand side of the the, the front wing? Um, pat myself on the back there for remembering that without having to look at the technical document. I am a genius. Which at quarter past one in the morning is is impressive. Yeah, I'm going quite pleased with that. Um, almost as good as Kimmy's drive, which was which was very good. The only he's, he's driving really well in the races. He's doing so well this season. Not bad for someone who's just sort of you know having a bit of fun in a, with their he, hobby. He's, is it? He's the only. Well, he's, there's only six drivers who scored in every race, and the other five are in. Much stronger car. It's, it's it's super impressive. It is that's it's exactly a, what he's been brought in to do. Just yeah, to be exactly. That Mister Consistency, always. There. And do you know he's hustling that car nicely. <laughs> he looks much more sort of proactive in Alpha, in the car and out of it, than he ever did in in the last three or four years with Ferrari. I, I must say though, the the one minor disappointment I had with him scoring that final point is it looked like Albon or Giovinazzi was going to be rewarded for 
both of them actually had really good weekends, I thought. And G- Giovinazzi in particular, actually, because he's, he's had all sorts of bad luck so far this season and penalties and crazy. He's had a crazy and, season. Yeah, and he's just not been able to show what he can do. But actually, he went into qualifying carrying a 10-place grid penalty for they've changed to the, the upgraded control electronics. That's the third one they've used this year. This is the one that was tweaked after Leclerc's failure in Bahrain. They didn't have it fitted in China. They had a failure, so uh, they had to put the, the old a new old spec on and now they've got the... They've got the new spec. So the impressive thing was he went through qualifying normally. He got into Q3 and obviously has to drop down the order. But that was a quick weekend from Giovinazzi. He, he deserves to have scored a point, really. But well, while he doesn't have the result, result to show for it, I think this weekend will have done wonders for his confidence within the team. It would First take, Q3. It would have taken a bit of pressure off his shoulders. And I suspect that the likes of Fred Vasseur, who, who know how to work with these young drivers that are under pressure, I, I think he will know that whatever he's had to do to just sort of make sure that Antonio's not flustered and that he's not overreacting or panicking, he will have, he will have been helped in that in trying to get the best out of his driver. His driver Because Giovinazzi, is a, he's a driver that I want to see have a fair crack at it this year. It'd be great to see what he can actually do in that car he, if he's he gets been, a decent run going. He's kind of been the, the... I mean, he's a rookie. He had those two races for Tauber in, in 2017 in place of the, the injured Verline. But effectively, he's still considering to be a rookie. So he's kind of been overlooked because Norris had good results. And we've seen uh, we've seen George Russell doing really good things with a, with a terrible car. And we've seen Alex Albon having a couple of uh, very strong uh, strong drives. So yeah, Giovinazzi, I think, is a, is a good driver. And he, you know, he, he, he deserves to get uh, points on the board. We also saw in the midfield some uh, shenanigans going on, shall we say. Penalty for bad reversing. <laughs> I don't think I've seen something quite like that in a in a motor race. Actually, I just I don't think I've ever seen that in a car race. Have you seen a? I, I can't remember. I mean, there, there's sometimes been problems with people about unsafe rejoining if they've been reversing onto the track. But just to see, as we saw Danny Ricardo reversing up an escape road, hitting Kvyat hard enough to do quite a lot of floor floor damage after a really clumsy failed overtake that well, that's, caused that's the, the funny problem. thing was he, he's been given a three place grid penalty for the Spanish Grand Prix for the for the reversing job but it was interesting I remember saying to you when the incident happened actually before we saw the the dubious uh, the dubious reversing Ricardo chucked out the inside Kvyat saw him coming didn't turn in because he thought well you're just going to hit me if I turn in so as a result of avoiding Ricardo the Ricardo torpedo to use a, to use a word that's been applied to Kvyat in the past could he end up not being able to get around the corner and end up having to sort of park up against the barrier? Then he got reversed into. So actually, you know, Ricardo's not an idiot. I'm sure if he could have if he could have seen that Toro Rosso, he probably would have been. He, he wouldn't have reversed into it. You don't get great rear visibility in that. I mean, he should have been wiser to it. But actually, if Kvyat had just turned in and been hit, everyone said, "Oh, that's a terrible move by Ricardo." But because Kvyat has avoided it. He's it's it's almost been kind of overlooked that element. It's that problem of people only applying um, like a reaction to something if there's a consequence. Yeah. So they're ignoring the actual problem that occurred and they're punishing, but or punishing or viewing it or judging it, whatever, based on the consequence. And it was a very silly error from Ricardo. He said after the race that he was feeling really small. Um, he was very sorry for Kvyat. Kvyat said he appreciated that Ricardo was a, apologetic and he said that he understood that uh, Ricardo um, felt felt the way he did. And he and as he said, he knew, he, he said, I know that Daniel knows if he just w- waited, that he, Kvyat would have been a sitting duck. So 
It was silly. It was a bit. Uh, it was a little bit like someone who has been driving a Red Bull for the last few years and is very, very comfortable under brake, under braking, lunging down the inside of someone in a car that's not quite as good as a Red Bull. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably the uh, the case. It's a horrible weekend for for Renault. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg struggled a lot as well. So yeah, ahead only of the uh, of the Williamses at the end, uh, Hulkenberg and Haas also had a, had a very difficult weekend as they knew they were going to with their with their tire troubles and yeah, just went sort of nowhere in the race. Check out autosport.com for all the news and reaction from the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And have a look at our Plus subscriber area where for a small monthly fee, you can read the world's best motorsport journalists and pick up a copy of Autosport magazine out every Thursday. Of course, loads on the Azerbaijan Grand Prix coming in the next issue. Check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, and Motorsport News out every Wednesday. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.